Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Bolt with your host, Dr. Jeff Tilley. Today's topic, Responsible Stewardship, Part 2. Sit back and relax and enjoy today's episode. So it's been a little bit longer since the last episode than I would have liked. I've had some issues with my schedule, which is not a great excuse, but I've also had some issues health-wise, particularly with my back, that have kept me uh, a little bit more uh, under the weather and down than I'd like to be, but not out completely. And so I'm happy to be able to finally get this uh, second part of the Responsible Stewardship uh, podcast uh, out. And whether or not we have a part three depends on how talkative I am in terms of some of the other points that I want to get over. Now, part one, which was about 10 days ago, talked about a lot of measures that mostly involved what you might call uh, acting locally. There's still some of that that we need to deal with, uh, but I'm going to transition as well in this podcast more from local to regional to global perspectives. And uh, there's some things in uh, this regard which some of you might not expect in terms of living responsibly. Living responsibly meaning wisely using water resources, using energy resources, uh, minimizing uh, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, what have you. And because some of the things that I have to suggest to you will be things that affect your convenience or your pocketbook. Not quite in the way the Green New Deal might affect your pocketbook, but they will affect your pocketbook and perhaps your lifestyle nonetheless. And that's the thing. If you really want to be a responsible steward, you may need to be prepared to make some changes to your lifestyle and in ways that you might not be comfortable with. Hence uh, why I sometimes think some of the grandiose things that get proposed are a little bit laughable because, yeah, you can propose all this, but people won't want to do it. And so that affects uh, how well it gets implemented. But enough on the, the prologue. Let's get started. Many of today's podcast uh, examples or tips or uh, suggestions for living responsibly end up revolving around transportation in some way. Transportation is a biggie. Uh, not just you driving in your car, but goods and services being moved around the country and around the world. It can be a very, very carbon-intensive operation. And so that general principle that you could imply is, okay, let's uh, consume things that are uh, leaving as small of a carbon footprint, as small of an energy footprint, as small of a water imprint as possible. And that's a little harder than it might seem, perhaps, unless you live out in the middle of nowhere with a commune where you have uh, cattle, where you have uh, crops that are grown, or you might just be a simple, uh, old-fashioned family farmer with a very small farm, enough to provide your own needs and maybe enough for a couple of other people. Well, that actually is kind of a model for... Uh, surviving in a non-carbon intensive uh, environment. And so 
Uh, I'm not necessarily suggesting that everybody go back to a one-acre farm, buy a cow, buy a couple of chickens, uh, maybe a goat, uh, and raise crops on the rest of the land outside of what your house is built on. Um, even though that would actually be uh, a very responsible way to live environmentally. So let's talk about some things that you might be able to do without having to go back and do that. Uh, first of all, live closer to where you work. This is a problem in many large metropolitan areas, a huge problem. And it's a problem where land use policies and development, economic development policies have not been uh, thought through with any regard to responsible stewardship. In the west where I live, urban sprawl is the uh, pretty much the default uh, way of operating, and you end up having situations like in uh, the greater Reno-Sparks area where I live, where people live on one end of the metropolitan area, and they have to commute all the way to the other end of the metropolitan area, a good 20 to 25 mile drive. Uh, and because there's so many vehicles and the infrastructure hasn't kept up there's traffic jams there's accidents lots of people spend a lot of time getting to work lots of people drive at speeds that are inefficient for the vehicles because you can't drive more than a few miles per hour in a stop and go traffic jam if you're lucky or you might be idling your car forever. Uh, the stereotypical picture of Southern California and traffic jams also applies to San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Tacoma, uh, uh, many of the other cities in the West, Vegas, Phoenix, you name it. Almost every Western city has this problem to some degree or another if they have a city over about 100 to 150,000 people. And even some of the ones smaller have these problems. So it might cost you more, but live closer to where you work. Reduce your commute time. You'll be less stressed. You'll be happier. You'll be more healthy. Uh, you won't need uh, to take blood pressure medicine as much. And you will also be doing good things for the environment. Uh, that might require sacrifices in your lifestyle in terms of you spending more on your house than you might want. But if everybody were to do this, ultimately the markets would adjust on their own. I'm not saying this would take uh, a month or a year or even 10 years. It would probably take at least 20 to 30 years to totally realize itself. And for those of you who want to support uh, initiatives like the Green New Deal that would have major social upheaval, well, this one would actually be probably comparable on the social upheaval scale, but it would ultimately cost individuals uh, probably less over the long haul. Okay, that's commuting. Next, let's talk about groceries and food, especially produce, especially meats, other products too. Uh, a lot of processed products. Uh, and the guideline here is you buy food that is grown with the smallest carbon footprint per item possible. And it's the per item that's the key here. Because that may make it something different than what you may think. You may think I'm sitting here saying, oh, good, we'll go to farmer's markets and we'll get everything fresh and local. And yeah, you do get things fresh and local. Uh, the question is, are you getting the 
uh, smallest carbon footprint per item? And the answer to that is probably no, unless it is a large farming operation and they still come to farmer's markets and they bring all their stuff. Uh, like it or not, uh, larger scale farms, and some of you will probably, you know, immediately start screaming when I mention, you know, the big companies like Archer Daniels Midland or, dare I say, Monsanto or other operations, big agri business operations. Uh, like it or not, they produce per item food uh, articles that are much lower in carbon footprint in general. They do take a significant amount of water, they do take a significant amount of energy, but on a per item basis, uh, I'm afraid to say it's probably less in almost every case. Uh, and that's not something that the organic industry wants to hear, but it's true. Uh, and so, unless you're producing it on your own property, where you can definitely uh, regulate how much energy, how much water, uh, how much fertilizer is needed, uh, all those things, it's more of a toss-up with produce than you might expect, especially. So, and this is also something that varies a lot from place to place, from country to country. So, what do you do? Well, you can't research everything and, and demand everyone produce all the statistics on how much per item it costs to do things. So, let's go with a simpler model here. Let's go with a, the simpler model of at least minimizing shipping costs and transportation costs. Uh, if you have uh, a farmer locally who can produce significant quantities of the vegetables that you like or dairy products, buy them from that local producer or at least a regional producer. And that saves on the transportation costs uh, required to bring tomatoes, for example, from New Jersey to a state like Arizona uh, during certain times of the year. And unfortunately, yes, you do have transportation of produce uh, across significant areas of the country much of the time. Meat products are even worse. But not everyone's going to have a cow and a chicken and a goat in their yard, or certainly on their apartment deck. So if you can buy as locally as possible, you may still have a higher carbon footprint per item, but you might be saving the carbon footprint on the transportation so that it's at least a wash, and you probably get something that's reasonably tasty. Um, there may be instances where uh, something produced in a foreign country is actually more advantageous uh, environmentally than getting something from somewhere else. A good example, New England. Uh, New England sticks up into uh, basically a part of eastern Canada between Ontario, Quebec, and the maritime provinces of Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, uh, Prince Edward Island, and Newfoundland. And uh, there are some dairy operations that do exist in Vermont, upstate New York, New Hampshire, uh, maybe and a little bit of Massachusetts and Maine as well. But let's face it, the population is too big for those, oper those operations to supply everybody. So what do you do? Do you go across the country and buy milk uh, packaged in, let's say, uh, Wisconsin, shipped all the way around the Great Lakes? 
or do you rather buy from a producer in Ontario or Quebec? Ontario or Quebec would be less of a shipping footprint. Uh, and so uh, notice that I'm not saying don't have dairy products, don't eat beef. This is a sticking point with some of the folks uh, like AOC dealing with the methane that's released in cows as they flatulate. Well, one problem with this is you also have to consider what's the carbon footprint per nutritional value. Uh, and like it or not, and food scientists will tell you this, that ultimately there are amino acids and, and in complete form in animal products that you just cannot reproduce in a plant product. And it also raises the question of, well, how much energy does it cost to raise cattle? Now, a lot of that energy comes about from various methods, which are not all renewable, meaning that there's likely CO2 emissions associated with them. So you have to weigh that against, well, what, what are you getting out of the plants? How do you have to supplement them? And supplementation and the production of synthetic amino acids is certainly something that is commonplace these days, but ultimately they, those take energy too. And if you really wanted to figure all this out, you could drive yourself crazy by thinking about all this and working it out and, and, and coming up with what's the most neutral approach. And it could be that the most neutral approach might actually be the raising of the cows. So it's something to think about. Uh, one last thing with respect to uh, transportation with, uh, in terms of co commerce and e-commerce, respectively. While Amazon.com has distribution centers located in various parts of the country, many times what you want is in something that is not in the local distribution center to begin with, and it has to be shipped all the way across the country, which is a carbon-intensive process. So, yeah, you might get something cheaper on Amazon.com than you would by driving to your local Target or Walmart or Macy's or Sears or whatever, or local hardware store, uh, which I personally favor, but that's me. Um, but you might be doing a disservice to the environment by how much it costs to ship that item across from a carbon footprint point of view versus getting it here, of course. How did it get to the store you're buying it from? That's a whole other issue. And this comes back into the buying uh, locally paradigm, which now I will expand to buy regionally, buy from your home country. If you can avoid buying products that have to come all the way across the Pacific from China, South Korea, Japan, Vietnam, Indonesia, uh, then do that because that's going to cut down on the amount of cross-Pacific freight traffic there has to be, which either occurs via barge or via airplane. And if you, if you have a factory manufacturing it from local raw materials, then by all means, buy that. It might cost you more, but you will be b being the more responsible steward that way. Um, a good example of this, and I will go back to Vermont in this, is Ben & Jerry's ice cream. Ben & Jerry's ice cream is manufactured outside of Burlington, Vermont in a factory that uses milk products from the local dairy farms in Vermont 
neighboring New Hampshire and maybe neighboring parts of upstate New York. Uh, I don't know how much they get from each place, but that's a relatively small circle of, of, of area that they're getting all their products from. Uh, they're getting some of the other products they use locally from farms as well. Probably the one thing they have to go somewhere else to get is sugar, which it would be nice if there was a way to get it closer, but uh, they're doing the best they can. And in doing the best they can, they do produce a product which is effectively very much a local product. Rather, so if you live there, you buy it from them. Yes, you pay more than you would if you were to go to your neighborhood Safeway or Kroger, but uh, the product itself doesn't have a high carbon footprint. And we are already at about 16 minutes, almost 17. Uh, I have a couple more things to say about transportation and about personal lifestyle to be a responsible steward. Uh, but I think I'm going to leave that for a part three, which I will post uh, much sooner after this one than was the case between this one and the previous podcast. Uh, I hope I'm giving you some food for thought. I might be making some of you mad, and if that's the case, well, sorry. Uh, too bad. Uh, you can choose not to listen to the next podcast if you like. Uh, but I hope you do. And for now, this is Dr. Jeff Tilly for The Daily Bolt, wishing you a good night, good morning, afternoon, and God bless.